0: Hello, did you know that food grown in Ukraine feeds 400 million people around the world? Since Russia invaded its neighbour three weeks ago, Ukrainians need outside help to get by. And that's where the UN World Food Programme comes in, as we'll hear. Away from Europe, this week we heard UN Secretary General Antony Guterres implore donors for funds to help Yemen, where two in three people need aid just to survive. Myanmar's been in the spotlight too, one year since Tatmadaw generals staged their coup with chilling results, as we'll hear from UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet. Stay with us too for comments from Solange berthege Cortes, who's taking us on a literary odyssey, as we'll hear. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up, Dateline Geneva, with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. <laughs> War in Ukraine risks seeing 90% of the country freefall into poverty and extreme vulnerability three weeks since Russia invaded its neighbour. A new UN report has said, apart from the heavy civilian death toll as Ukrainian cities have been pounded by Russian shelling, the UN Development Programme, or UNDP, on Wednesday cited government estimates that at least $100 billion worth of buildings, roads, bridges, hospitals, schools and other vital infrastructure have been destroyed. One in two Ukrainian businesses have shut down completely, while the other half has been forced to operate well below capacity. UNDP warned that if the conflict drags on, and if more support to the country is not forthcoming quickly, it could wreck almost two decades of economic progress. To help prevent these shocks and protect hard-won development gains, we need peace now, said UNDP Administrator Achim Steiner. Early UN estimates indicate that nearly three in ten people in Ukraine need life-saving assistance. Based on the current direction of the fighting, 18 million people will likely be affected, and more than seven million may have to flee their homes. A funding crunch has put millions of people in Yemen at risk of catastrophe. UN Secretary-General António Guterres has said in support of a $4.3 billion appeal to fund the relief effort in the war-torn country. Since the appeal on Wednesday, 36 donors pledged nearly $1.3 billion towards the response. After more than seven years of war in the impoverished Arabian state, tens of thousands of civilians, including at least 10,000 children, have died, Mr Guterres said. And he added that for millions of internally displaced people, life is a daily struggle for survival, and that their plight is getting worse. Food rations have just been reduced for 8 million people with devastating consequences. And one million women and girls may lose access to reproductive health and gender based violence services, a death sentence in a country where one woman dies every two hours from complications during pregnancy and childbirth due to preventable causes. I implore all donors to contribute generously. To make matters even harder, a lack of funding has forced the UN and partners to scale back or close around two-thirds of life-saving projects. In the coming weeks, nearly four million people in major cities may also lose access to safe drinking water. To Myanmar, where security forces have killed at least 1,600 people and detained more than thousand since the military coup last year, the UN Rights Office has said. In a new report released on Tuesday warning that serious rights abuses uncovered in Myanmar may amount to war crimes and crimes against humanity, UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet appealed to the international community to take concerted, immediate measures to stem the spiral of violence there. The report's findings indicate that military and security forces bombarded populated areas with airstrikes and heavy weapons and deliberately targeted civilians. Many victims were shot in the head, burnt to death, arbitrarily arrested, tortured or used as human shields, said UN Rights Office spokesperson Ravina Shamdasani.
1: Mass killings have taken place. In July, in Sagang region, soldiers killed 40 individuals in a series of raids. Villagers found the remains of some victims with their hands and feet still tied behind their backs.
0: At least 440,000 others have been displaced since the military takeover on 1 February 2021, the UN report said. A further 14 million are in need of urgent humanitarian assistance, but aid deliveries have been largely blocked by the military in new and pre-existing areas of need, the report noted. The headlines there, and now back to Ukraine, where, as we've been hearing, there are huge humanitarian needs already, after power outages and food and water shortages, and discriminant attacks on supply chains, three weeks since the Russian invasion. Leading the relief effort, the UN World Food Programme is a major player in the logistics of emergency aid. To find out more, I spoke to Abir Atifa, a World Food Programme senior spokesperson who's on assignment in Poland for the Ukraine crisis. Here she is now.
2: Well, the World Food Program and all of us are deeply concerned that families in the embattled areas of Ukraine are having greater problems finding food. We're building a massive operation to bring in large quantities of food for civilians trapped in major cities and assist others that are impacted by the conflict. WFP plans to scale up to assist 3.1 million people inside the country. The systems that feed tens of millions of people inside Ukraine are falling apart. Trucks and trains are destroyed, airports bombed, bridges fallen, supermarkets emptied, and warehouses are drained. And WC's job is, in effect, to replace some of these broken commercial food supply chains inside Ukraine. And given the complexity of the situation on the ground and the security challenges, this is such a difficult task that takes time and effort. So to respond to many of these needs, we're establishing operational bases inside Ukraine, in Lviv, and two other locations to supply and organize humanitarian convoys to conflict areas.
0: How many people are you trying to reach, bearing in mind that 6.7 million are internally displaced and 18 million are apparently affected by the conflict that's going on after the Russian invasion?
2: Uh, We did have an operation inside Ukraine from 2014 to 2018. After that, we closed down our offices after the food security has stabilized in some areas in East Ukraine. And since then, we uh, did not have any presence until two, three weeks ago. So, of course, it's a massive operation and a massive challenge to build an operation from the ground up that is supposed to be providing food assistance inside Ukraine to around 3 million people. We're also ready to assist refugees in neighbouring countries if the needs arise. So this is the big challenge for the World Food Programme at the moment, which is that, you know, making sure that we're mobilising food inside Ukraine, getting the parties that we need, opening our offices in the right locations to be close to people that will be in conflict areas.
0: But how safe is it for you to operate within Ukraine at the moment? Where exactly are you going?
2: Um, we go where the needs are, uh, but of course we are guided by the uh, safety and security of staff and of our partners. At the moment, we have an office in the western city of Lviv in Ukraine, and we, from there we're also working on establishing presence in other locations. We did have a team in Kiev, but we had to move them around because the situation was getting very intense at one point, and, you know, our uh, World Food Program colleagues had to leave Kiev and go to other locations.
0: Are you working with other UN agencies? Because, of course, the World Health Organization is really worried about healthcare workers and the lack of medical supplies. I mean, it would make sense to do so, wouldn't it?
2: Of course. We work all under the UN flag. Interagency convoys are being negotiated to get into conflict areas. So we're one team and everything will be mobilized under the UN flag. We're extremely concerned about some of the difficult situations, be it lack of medical supplies or food supplies or water in some of the embattled areas.
0: And just staying with those embattled areas, the areas that are being bombed, Mariupol is the one that most people will have heard about. They haven't had any supplies for a long time since the start of the invasion on the 24th of February. So what's the latest that you have from there, please, in terms of people's food security?
2: Unfortunately, all the ceasefires and the negotiations for safe humanitarian access have failed, so we haven't been able to get with supplies into Mariupol. Uh, the reports, of course, that are coming from inside is that there are a lot of food shortages, no water, no medical supplies. It's a situation that we know from experience from other parts of the world is that once you cut off supplies, you're going to see hunger, you're going to see people dying without medicine. It's not the first time we've seen that. So we can only imagine what is happening inside Maripol. All
0: right. Abir Atifa from the World Food Programme. Last question to you then. We're all conscious of inflation, global inflation and the insecurity in the markets and commodity markets caused by the Russian invasion. We also know that Ukraine and Russia account for massive amounts of global wheat and maize. So presumably this has a knock-on effect on the World Food Programme's operational costs. How much do you need to keep this huge operation going?
2: First of all, with global food prices at an all-time high, the World Food Programme is concerned about the impact of the Ukraine crisis on food security globally, especially hunger hotspots. The consequences of the conflict in Ukraine are already radiating outwards, and we have a wave of collateral hunger that's spreading around the globe. Between Russia and Ukraine, we have 30% of the experts of wheat and some major agricultural products like all sunflower oil and sunflower seeds, gas. It is going to be massive. The impact on WFP's operation alone is that we're going to have around $71 million per month extra cost for the food that we used to procure at the same cost a few, few months ago. Ukraine is the second largest. Uh, country in terms of the food that we purchase for our operations worldwide, like in Yemen, Syria, and many of the countries around the world. This is also going to have a massive impact on the humanitarian world. We are already suffering and struggling to get enough resources to support the people in West Africa, in Somalia, in Ethiopia, in Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria. So having one more conflict On top of this, is going to already add to our very much stretched budget.
0: And very last question, Abir, how much longer can the World Food Programme continue to bear that extra cost?
2: It's going to be difficult if we have the donor support, we can take it longer. But of course, with the stretched budget of the donors that have also been giving quite generously for the last few years, I think it will be a big challenge.
0: Many thanks to Abeer Atifa from the World Food Programme. We'll hope to catch up with her as the emergency unfolds and as more aid reaches the country. Now, to mull over all this, I have with us our regular guest, Solange behategui Cortes. She's with me now for closing comments. Hi, Sol.
1: Hola, Daniel. In his Dictionnaire Philosophique, Voltaire said that war always brings plague and famine in its wake. This is so true, Daniel. The war in Ukraine has global consequences. In a few months, or even weeks, tens of millions of people living thousands of kilometers away from Ukraine will suffer hunger. Because Russia and Ukraine are major exporters of grain and Ukraine is WFP's second largest supplier, the Russian invasion will have an impact on the humanitarian world in West Africa, in Somalia, in Ethiopia, Afghanistan, Syria, and Yemen. What we do here has an impact there and vice versa. Actions and solutions must be coordinated and more than ever, we need multilateralism as our only flag in war. Human beings sometimes transform themselves and do things that they regret later. In the Odyssey, Ulysses and his crew become trapped on the island of the sun god Helios, where they run out of food. Ulysses remembers the warnings he had been given by Circe and the blind prophet Tiresias about not touching the cattle, even in the worst moments of hunger. But his men despair, and Eurolochus says to them, Listen to me, all deaths are bad enough, but there is none so bad as famine. The men agree with him and slaughter the sacred cows. They feast for six days, but on the seventh day, Zeus sends a terrible storm into the ship's path, pitching the sailors into the sea, who all drown. Only Ulysses survives. Let's hope that the work that the World Food Programme is doing on the ground will help to prevent men from doing irreparable harm. War and famine were for Voltaire among the worst scourges of humanity. But peace is the antidote and the best weapon against hunger.
0: Thank you, Seoul. Peace efforts are continuing in Ukraine even while the fighting goes on. We know that the world is watching and hoping that all those who are suffering bombing, deprivation and indignity throughout Ukraine after the Russian invasion will hear some positive news soon. For the latest on the UN's work in and around Ukraine, check out the UN News website. There's also headlines, stories and interviews on other major stories from all over the world. So do take a look. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Sol and I will be back next week. That's right, isn't it, Solange?
1: Yes. See you next week, Dan.
0: Te veo la próxima semana. How about that? See you then, then. Bye-bye for now.
1: (laughs) Ciao, Daniel.